Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marks and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour, me, you idiot. Welcome everybody to the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. This is the fifth installment of Stranger Earth Things. And as you might imagine, I'm here with my Canadian pal, Liz Hersey. How you doing, Liz? I'm absolutely fucking dandy, Martin. How are you? <laughs> so I'm I'm thrilled that you're dandy, and uh, <laughs> and and uh, but uh, but my, I'm always dandy when I come on the show. You're always dandy, but I think this is the time you've been fucking dandy. Yeah. And uh, and I and I, I don't know if we're. I, I mean, I, I don't know for certain that you're a trailblazer, but I don't know. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody refer to themselves as fucking dandy before. <laughs> so I, I was actually very pleased with that. Just uh, just so you know why why there was a <laughs> why I had to compose a little bit of laughter for a minute. All good or dandy or no no fucking dandy's way better. Fucking dandy. Yeah, it was it was a it was a it was it, it's a good precedent. Yeah, we should get some merch going on this. <laughs> Hashtag fucking Hashtag dandy. t-shirts, mugs, keychains, pens, dildos, whatever. <laughs> dildos. Because I'm thinking about whoever whoever that first generation of people who refer to themselves as dandy. And I just can't imagine <laughs> any of them <laughs> ever preface dandy with fucking dandy. Yeah. Reginald, how are you today, old chap? I'm fucking dandy, George. How about yourself? <laughs> uh, okay, so so this is uh, this is the, the fifth installment of our Stranger Things series, and I'm feeling good because yeah, you know, the, the 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 first the first installment of it, which was back on episode 169, which was kind of default yeah, the, the, the 69 redo if you will and we went into that and 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 we even talked about it uh, on the recording that we didn't actually know what we were doing it was this uh it was just it was this great <laughs> idea that you had and then we were just going to figure it out uh in front of the microphones but now i feel like we've we've kind of settled into something um I could be crazy. I could just be being optimistic, but I feel like we've kind of sort of settled into something. How are you feeling? Cause, cause we're past the halfway point. Episode four we was are. the halfway point. So we are, we're on the other side of, of the, uh, of, of the hill as it were. How are you feeling overall about our stranger earth things journey? I think we're fucking ballers. That's what I think. I like that. Where we're fucking dandy and we're fucking, fucking ballers. dandy and fucking ballers. <laughs> <laughs> So this is uh for okay well this is episode one seventy three of the podcast but this is uh episode five of Stranger Things that we're going to be talking about the flea and the acrobat which is one of my one of my favorite I mean they're all my they're all my favorites but 
uh, in terms of episodes that stand out, the the flea and the acrobat definitely stands out for me for reasons that we'll get into as we talk about it. But uh, just as oh, a really? as a as a general preface, I, I feel like this is the the first episode where the the show goes from uh, layer upon layer of mystery, and this is the first one that really starts to give us a little bit of insight as to what exactly is going on and what we're looking at and what, what we're, what we're experiencing and, and a, a bit more precise specific manner. So this particular episode, it was written by Alice and Tatlock and it was directed by the Duffer brothers. So they, so they've come back, they directed, I think at the very least the first two episodes uh, and then uh, the two episodes after that were directed by, I believe his name was Sean Levy, and uh, and so and so now now we're back to the the Duffer Brothers who've come back to to direct uh, the synopsis. Can I just touch on that for a second? Absolutely, the Duffer Brothers. Absolutely. I just wanted to. Should they be listening? I just wanted to say that I think it's uh, pretty bush league that they didn't get any Emmys last weekend. I just, the Emmys were last weekend. Matt and I watched. It was our one year anniversary last weekend on the day of the Emmys, actually. Happy anniversary. Thank you. And um, I had just like the last day of the uh, Toronto Film Festival was that day. And I had been there like all week, just delirious with no sleep. And so I said, <laughs> there's no way I'm going to want to go out and do like dinner and a show or anything fancy for our anniversary because I'm just exhausted. So we came back home and we... Uh, opened a bottle of champagne and ordered some sushi and watched the Emmys. And that was perfect. The only thing that wasn't perfect was that Stranger Things did not win any major award. I don't know about, cause they have a bunch of techie awards that they don't televise and I'm not <laughs> well versed in those. So I don't know if it won like theme song or special effects. So if someone wants to tweet me and let me know, cause I'm not going to fucking look it up. Please do, but they should have won a major award. So I just want to put that out there. That's shocking. So I I did not watch the Emmys. I I, I love like well, you know me. I, we we both love awards shows. Um, uh, I I don't have cable, which isn't the only way to access. Uh, in this case, the the Emmys. But yeah. Um, uh, ultimately, I I didn't see the Emmys. I I know that the The Handmaid's Tale did well, but I also honestly I just. I just assumed that Stranger Things won a couple of awards just because it's it's not it's I mean it's a great show, but it also has just a, a just overwhelming uh, critical acclaim and just it's very popular. So I just I just assume that's actually this is the first I've heard of it, which is shocking. And I'm so happy for the wins for The Handmaid's Tale, just because I mean I have an attachment to it because it's written the book was written by Margaret Atwood, who's like considered the pride of Canada and she she lives very close to me I don't know her but she lives not too far from where I do and um and I love Elizabeth Moss and I have I've seen the pilot of Handmaid's Tale and it is fantastic so I'm not trying to shit on the Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. I'm happy for its wins especially for Elizabeth Moss because she's I mean it's I think it's I believe it's her first Emmy which is a travesty considering her work in Mad Men mm-hmm. um, so I'm very happy she won and also in her category she wasn't up against anyone from Stranger Things so that makes it easier too but I I do wish that Stranger Things would have eked out the best drama I really do that would have been cool but also talk about burying the headline we have a sixth Canadian Margaret oh, Atwood yeah, yeah yeah so 
<laughs> so we went from having uh, five Canadian citizens in the in, in the up in the the, the Great White North. Now we we have a, a six that you've just revealed. So yeah, this is kind of amazing. I know, right? It's also and kind I, of amazing. I don't know her. I know that's exactly what I was going to say. That uh, there's six of you, and she actually lives near you, and you are a fan of her work. But you guys haven't met yet. This is a uh, this. We should remedy this uh, as, as as quickly as possible. And by we, yeah, I, I mean think we should. You and my producer, Canadian Mark, Mike, Mark, Matt, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you could tell. I like realized neither one of those is correct. Canadian Matt. Also, uh, after after we uh, named him uh, Canadian Matt, uh, after the recording, I was still <laughs> it was still in my head, like working out uh, his official title. And then I was thinking, what about Canada, Matt? Is it Canada, Matt, or Canadian, Matt? Canadian, Matt, I feel like uh, we've kind of settled into, but then I couldn't yeah, decide if, like, if Canada, Canadian, Matt. Matt works. Yeah, I like it. Also, fun trivia facts. Since we're just, this is not a Stranger Things podcast at the moment anymore, <laughs> so I'm just going to go for it. My dad's name is actually Mark. And so in my phone, I don't have him listed as Mark. I have him listed as dad because Mark and Matt are too similar. And I don't want any, like, I like to spend, when Matt's not home, I like to send him little reminders about how much I miss him and parts of him, namely his penis. So I don't want any mishaps with that. So that's why my dad is referred to as dad in my phone. So for all these Stranger Things people who are listening, like all excited to hear this juicy bit of gossip, you're fucking welcome. <laughs> Although I have to imagine, because as well as I know your dad, which is I, I just know what you tell me about him, but as well as I know your dad, I feel like if, uh, if you texted your dad and told him how much you missed his penis, like he, <laughs> he would be flattered and he would be sort of like completely obtuse to any any sort of sexual message and he would be like oh thank you sweetie no (laughs) i would like as what i would do is i would call home and say do not look at your phone i'm coming over to delete that message (laughs) uh why do i get the impression that that's happened before that just it hasn't (laughs) But I, one time I accidentally almost texted my boss a message that was meant for Matt. But it was more, like, cute than sexual. It was just like, I just want to cuddle with you right now or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my. And I, yeah, this boss was, like, a shade creepy, too. So I'm really glad that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, God. God damn, that's too funny. Okay. This is a podcast where I just talk about texting mishaps, right? That's why we're gathered today. I know. I realize now that uh, we've stumbled into a, a, a whole other episode that we should do a, a whole another time because this is this is good stuff. I've and got I, more texting mishaps so, stories, which so I'll save that for that podcast. Oh man, yeah, we're totally going to put a pin in that. There's, I think, there's a, <laughs> there's a whole lot of uh, material that we have just uh, unintentionally discovered. Uh, all right, so for this episode, uh, 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 so here's so so actually, you know what? So so the so the writer, Alison Tatlock, uh, just a few a uh, few notes about her that I think you'll find interesting. Oh yeah, her. So so one, um, her her writing resume, it's not nearly as deep as the previous uh, writers for uh, on, on Stranger Things, which which isn't good or bad. It's just sort of a, a matter of fact. 
Um, before Stranger Things, she worked on three other shows, including HBO's series and Treatment. And uh, as far as Stranger Things goes, uh, The Flea and the Acrobat, it's, it's her only writing credit on Stranger Things, which again, isn't good or bad in and of itself. Uh, generally speaking, you know, you'll, you, we find that if somebody writes one episode of, of a given series, they, they might, they usually end up writing a couple, particularly if they're part of the writing staff. So for, so for whatever, actually I was going to say for whatever reason, but I think I know why. Um, she only wrote one episode for Stranger Things, but she currently works as a writer and supervising producer on the AMC show Halt and Catch Fire, which I've, I've heard of, but I really don't know much of anything about it, but She's, That's like my parents' favorite show. Is it? <laughs> okay, well then that it's is... It's like c- computer stuff in the 80s. Okay, that sounds about right. That's about all I know about it. So yeah, so she's actually, yeah. She's actually a, a supervising producer on that, which is basically, it's it's if you if you have the credit supervising producer, it means you're a writer, but it's also, it, look, it looks good on you know, IMDb, I, I imagine. Um, so I suspect that's the that's the main reason she's not on Stranger Things that she's got this this other gig on Halt and Catch Fire, and possibly because I I have no idea maybe maybe they offered her a, a you know a, a more a, a, I mean maybe it's the credit maybe they were like hey if you come to our show you'll be a supervising producer and she's like oh shit the Duffer Brothers didn't offer me that and so then she mm-hmm. jumps ship after um, after the the acrobat and the and the flea. Uh, or the flea and the acrobat, whatever it doesn't matter. Uh, I I can't get anything quite right this morning, including uh, Canadian Mark, which is not your producer's name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, here here's the note that I thought you would be particularly interested in about uh, about Alison Tatlock. So uh, along with being a, a writer and a producer, she had a, a brief career as an actress she had uh, overall she's credited with four roles but one of them she played a tv reporter in the 2002 film secretary what yeah oh my god yeah i saw that and i said liz is gonna love this we've got to include this note i don't even remember any reporters in that movie (laughs) I mean, I'm sure she had a great performance, but I haven't seen the movie in like a long time. It's been too long. I'm sure James Spader misses me very much. I'm I'm confident he misses you. And uh and I've actually I've actually never seen it. I feel like we've talked about this, but uh, and I've never avoided it. It's always one of those movies that I've I don't know. I'm you so, mean, it's on the list, but yeah, it just never happened. It, it's, yeah. it's it's definitely not on the Schindler's list list. No, it's on the boner list and, i couldn't come up with a more eloquent name than that <laughs> uh, that i think that is the most eloquent name <laughs> frankly i think that name is fucking dandy there you go there you go at uh, the fucking dandy list now that'll be a different list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but i think it's one of, I, I think it's a movie that i sort of assume that i've seen because it's it's uh i i know chanel has seen it and i feel like i know I know a lot about it, so it, and I've seen images and scenes and stuff. So I feel like I, but but then, then I realize I've never actually watched it. So I'll have to remedy if if only for Alice and Tatlock, I'm gonna have to watch it to see her performance as TV reporter. That's the draw, right? <laughs> Alice and Tatlock as TV reporter. Is she, did she have a number, or is she the only TV reporter? 
I think she, there's no number, so I think she's actually the only TV reporter. There you go. And uh, here's actually something else funny. Uh, of the four roles that she played, um, she had a, a, I think it was actually her first role was in a, was in a movie where she also played a reporter. Ooh la la. So, so she's yeah. got her uh, her wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Either that or she's uh, getting typecast where they, she had that first role and they were like, you know what? When I see Alice and Tadlock, I see a fucking reporter. And then and then now every every time she and maybe that's why she stopped acting. Like every single audition she got was for a TV reporter. And finally she called her agent. She's like, you know what? I'm tired of only getting offered roles as a as a reporter. I'm more than a reporter. And her agent's like, listen, listen, Allison, I, I, I want to get you work, but the, the only roles that are coming in, the only thing people want you for is is as a TV reporter. And she's like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to learn how to write, and I'm going to start a whole new career. And you know what? She did it. Yeah, there you go. She goddamn did it. So good for you, Allison Tatlock, for... Uh, for you know breaking the mold breaking the mold saying fuck playing tv reporters writing the episode the flea and the acrobat and then eventually jumping ship to amc's halt and catch fire which is the hersey's favorite tv show there you go so so as for the episode that she wrote uh, oh yeah which was also directed by the duffer brothers uh so so uh, well last week Last week we talked about the episode. Uh, the I think it was the body, right? The body, yeah. And uh, and and so a lot of what we talked about was how that was sort of a it was a transitional episode. That the first three episodes <coughs> had this very, very engaging, dramatic, you know, upwards arc, which which had its own sort of resolution as far as that arc goes, which was the discovery of what we thought to be Will Byers' body, and then uh, and then in the fourth episode. You know, the, the 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 main thing that we learned is that it wasn't his body, but there was also this transitional episode where there wasn't there wasn't a lot of huge things happening, but it was also in terms of you know storytelling, pacing, it was kind of an episode that allowed us to catch our breath, to kind of settle in, to recalibrate a bit for the this the for for the final sort of second storytelling arc arc, which begins with episode five, the flea and the acrobat. And so, uh, in that fashion, this episode does a, does a whole lot to both uh, ratchet up the drama and to, to really start to set things up for the second half of the series. But it starts with Liz's very favorite uh, chief, Chief Hopper, or uh, yeah, <laughs> Chief. I'm trying to remember what you've called him in previous episodes, Chief uh, <laughs> Chief, Am I Clear, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, am I making myself clear? <laughs> so, uh, that, so was from, that was from the pilot, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think that was, that was the first time that came up. And then I believe I said clear all over my face, <laughs> and it was, we laughed and laughed. <laughs> uh, as we often do, as, as, sometimes I think, like, are, are people... Do people get annoyed with us? Would, would they rather us just just talk more instead of uh, making each other laugh? But even if we tried, I don't, I don't know if we'd be able to help yeah. ourselves. <laughs> so, so in the last episode, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Chief Hopper, that the the main discovery was that uh, the Will Byers, the the body was not in fact Will Byers. That it was actually, it was well, not only was it a fake body, but I, I think 
I, I think what doesn't get enough credit is is these scientists' ability to create not only a lifelike body, but it looked just like Will. Like they really could have a career in Hollywood if they weren't doing this deceptive, you know, subversive government shaking your shadow work. Yeah, but I mean, what are you supposed to put that on your resume and then you get found out? So yeah, yeah, that, that's the real tragedy of Stranger Things is that the the fellows from Hawkins can't get work in Hollywood. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, let's face it. Not only they would probably they probably get paid way better, and and you know they could actually take appropriate credit credit for their work. Where for now, you know, the the only people who know what they do are you know just these shady shady you know dr brenner yeah and really dr cronies. brenner yeah. and, and not only that dr brenner is uh you know far more willing to uh to murder them than i would then say some hollywood producer would be so one would hope yeah oh yeah yeah listen if dr brenner is not willing to murder them then i don't know how he got his job so <laughs> that's definitely something worth mentioning so so in this episode uh, Chief Hopper is is following up on that discovery. Uh, he he breaks into the lab again, yeah. And and, uh, and actually, he has uh, one of those Chief Hopper moments that uh, that I suspect Liz enjoys, where he gets yeah. rough with a couple of gentlemen. Well, I was going to say the episode started with another Hopper fisting. <laughs> uh, so. and, and and you know and you know we know we know that uh, Liz enjoys a good Hopper fisting. <laughs> which is a uh, which again you know happy anniversary it's usually how you and canadian matt will uh celebrate uh, uh an anniversary with a good hopper fisting but this time as you said <laughs> tired so you you know, watched the emmys and had some uh, some sushi and and wine uh but more important than the fisting in fact i feel like the fisting was almost definitely just for liz because then after the fisting yeah i'm sure that's exactly what they were what allison tadlock was thinking okay i'm gonna wink to the pervert in canada (laughs) that could be a good name for a a stranger things episode the pervert in canada that would be an outstanding name hopefully i so i like i i know uh I know that there's a there's a there's a there's a list of episodes for season two, which I've avoided because I hate spoiler. I don't even want to. Know, I don't even want to know the name of episodes. But uh, yeah. maybe, maybe for season three, there can be an episode, "The Pervert in Canada," and that would be so great. Because then, if there was, then we would know, we would know one hundred percent that uh, at least one of the writers is is listening to to this podcast. Yeah, and that would be. And and we would play it cool. We would be like we would be like the the, the special effects designers in Hawkins Labs, where we wouldn't say anything. <laughs> we would just be proud of our work. That's funny. <laughs> so, so we got to the first shot of the episode. We're doing well. <laughs> it's only taken us uh, just shy of a half hour to get to the first scene. There we though. go. <laughs> <laughs> So so Hopper gets in there, and, uh, and and the main thing, the most important thing that happens, is he he just he doesn't know what he's looking at, but he discovers the 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 portal or the entryway uh, into the upside down. He doesn't go in necessarily, but I mean he goes in and he he goes deep enough into the lab where where we see like the the sort of ashy snowflakes that fall that are. That's that's usually our first visual cue that we're in the upside down, or or even before we know it's the upside down, it's definitely a visual cue that we're 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 someplace 
different. We don't know where we're at. But yeah. by, by episode and, five, though, we, we kind of know. Yeah. And when he was walking around, and there's all that, yeah, ashy, dusty, whatever. Like, I felt my lungs filling with dust. So I'm like, he's going <laughs> to die of asbestos pretty soon anyway. So they don't need to do all the stuff they do to him. Um, but one thing he discovers before the upside down is he discovers Eleven's bunker. Like it's like this bed with a teddy bear and a drawing on the wall. And of course he doesn't know anything about Eleven, but he knows there's this missing kid who went missing near Hawkins lab and they're covering it up. And so it looks kind of like this is, is this possibly where they're holding Will? Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and, uh, and that was my that was my thought when I saw that is that um, that that could easily be where they're holding Will, and uh, and you know bec- you know because he's a sheriff and uh, maybe he's thinking about other things, he could just also be coming to the conclusion that maybe maybe they maybe they've they've held many kids here, which um, yeah, which maybe they have. I don't know. Maybe season two will will get some some insights on that. But but either way, if nothing else. Uh, as a sheriff, he can start to use uh, he can start to use his deductive reasoning and say this is either where Will was or at the very least, this is definitely some place where a kid was, which means that they're one, doing something weird with children. One, yeah, or a, chi- a child. One hundred percent. So, so, so he knows one way or the other, he's on the right track in some form or fashion. If he's not about to find Will, he's definitely stumbled onto something that, as a sheriff he should absolutely know about in his town. So, so then as you say, uh, he gets, uh, he gets knocked out before, before he can discover too much more about the lab and this, this entryway, <clears throat> entryway into the upside down. Uh, then we have the opening credits, but then after that, uh, when we come back, uh, Hopper wakes up back in his house. And, and again, I love the attention to detail by these, by these Hawkins people, because they don't just put him back uh, into, you know, they put him on his couch and they they've got a bunch of empty beer cans and pills on the table, uh, just to to sort of you know clearly to to leave to leave Hopper with the with the impression that you know whatever yeah. you saw you just had a crazy crazy dream after like a, a a binger on on beer and pills. Yeah, it's a staging. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, he uh, oh I, oh yeah yeah okay so now now I'm remembering so after he wakes up. Um, he almost immediately. I mean, you know, first he you know he goes in the mirror. Uh, he he sees you know he's looking at his neck. Looks kind of kind of bruised. Uh, but then he starts he starts you know just just tearing up his his his, his trailer. Um, not in rage, but it it eventually becomes clear that he that he's looking for something that uh, he believes that the, there's got to be some kind of a some kind of a mic that's been placed in his house. But the whole time I'm watching this, I'm getting so upset watching him t- tear up his trailer because he's like, yeah, he's, like, know, he's just throwing shitty wooden furniture all over the place. He cuts open his couch cushion. I know. OK, here's here's my issue is that he starts off looking in some lights, which is logical and it, it causes the least amount of destruction. And then he just goes nuts. And yeah, like starts tearing up his couch like it's a stuffed Will Byers and and throwing tables everywhere. And then he's like, oh, yeah, maybe I should go back to that light thing. And then he found it. <laughs> and I get, like, I mean, I'm not going to fault, like, the writing or the production or anything too much because he's kind of going through a lot because this is bringing back memories of his dead kid. And later on in the episode, he calls his wife and or his ex-wife. And, uh, and so he's, like, I mean, he's manic. And if 
you think someone's spying on you. You might not be thinking logically, but I just found it kind of amusing that he started off looking very logically. And if he would have kept that up, he would have found it in like two seconds. (laughs) But of course, then we didn't get to see him tear apart his place. And I also felt like I, I felt like I very much associated more with your feelings uh, previously, when uh, you know, in a, in a previous episode, you talked about how how uh, Joyce hung up all these lights in her house and they were lit up all the time, and that you were so concerned for her electric bill. I was. And, I, I care. And and so I, I think I, I had that same feeling when I'm just like watching him tear up his his trailer, and I'm just all, all I could think about is is how long is this going to take to clean up? Are you going to replace? Are you going to replace that that couch cushion? Uh, are you, are, can you even live in this place anymore? What are you doing, man? And it made me so uncomfortable. And I know that wasn't the point, but that's all I could think about, <laughs> aside from him trying to see if he if he could find a well, microphone. And that's just why him and Joyce are kindred spirits, because they both <laughs> love busting up their places. <laughs> <laughs> like between yeah, here, like if they ever moved in together, it'd be like, okay, here's my trailer with the hole in the wall because I threw an axe through it here's my couch that i stabbed looking for a microphone and and they could just live happily ever after like their shit kingdom <laughs> i'll tell you what man there there's so there, there there's so much more to this story that uh, i have to i have to believe that the the, the duffer brothers know what they're doing and like they, they're listening <laughs> to this podcast and they're just like finally finally we've been waiting for like a year for somebody to, to to uncover the subtext, and finally, detectives Liz and Martin are, are doing justice to, <laughs> to this to this epic universe that we've that we've created. Yes. So uh, I don't I don't know if I don't know if it's the immediate next scene, but the there there is the uh, there's a funeral for for Will Byers. I mean I know. Okay. I okay. Mean, I mean there's a scene with uh, with, with Lonnie and Joyce, and they're on the couch. And Drinking. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know Jonathan comes home, and um, and, and it's not it's not a it's it's not a crucial scene except for the fact that you know Lonnie's there, he enjoys her, they're getting along. It's not I mean they're not being romantic, but they're not they're yeah. not fighting or anything. And then you know Jonathan comes home, so it kind of establishes that. Um, there was also a reference of of the funeral, which almost caught me off guard because I kind of I mean it totally made sense. But in a way, I forgot that, like, oh, yeah, like, we're the only ones that know that Will's body was fake. So, of course, there would be a funeral. So so they have a, a funeral for for uh, for Will. And uh, and probably the most important thing that, that sort of comes out of that particular scene is that uh, Jonathan and Nancy get to talking and they know each other. So it's not like the first time that they've talked. Um. But they're basically talking about the they're they're talking about Barb and that uh, and you know Nancy, uh, she you know she still wants to find Barb because I mean they don't know that she's been taken into the upside down they don't even know yeah you know, well the, what the cops had is. come to um, Hopper's trailer after he destroyed his place and said that they found Barb's car at the bus station so oh, it looks yeah. like she ran away. Like, oh, guess we get to drop that now. And, but there was another revelation in that scene that um, the cop, not the young one, the older one, is not Lucas's father because Lucas's father was at the funeral. So, <laughs> figure that one out. 
Um, can I just backtrack uh, to before the funeral? Because there's this kind of montage of everyone getting ready very somberly and yeah. all that. And we, we get classic Mr. Wheeler moment where he's helping um, Mike put on his tie. And he, of course, he's like fucking it up. And Mike's like, oh, it's too tight. So like just classic Mr. Wheeler right there. Just fucking things up. <laughs> I liked that because I I don't know. This man has done nothing to like remotely offensive in this whole series. But for whatever, I just love to make fun of how much of a buffoon he is. <laughs> and, and again, just more more great attention to detail. Like the like the Duffer brothers, like they know who this guy is. They've clearly yeah. like like he's he's got a, a significant portion in the show Bible for, for as little as he appears in the show. They've probably given as much thought to Mr. Wheeler as any other character. So when he, when he does appear, it is always right on point. Yeah, indeed. And I wanted to point out that um, before uh, before the funeral, this was kind of in the teaser juxtaposed with Hopper's exploring. They kind of talk like the boys in Eleven are in the basement and she kind of starts to sort of explain the upside down to them Mm -hmm. and they relate it to dungeons and dragons and something i believe it's called the veil of shadows yeah that sounds and uh, yeah and so basically the veil of shadows in this dungeons and dragons is the upside down it's the same world that we live in but it's inhabited and ruled by monsters and demons and things like that and so that one thing that's interesting, but because the funeral is pretty eventless, like Joyce is on her best behavior and, um, and it's just, it's a very standard whatever. Um, and, but after at the, is it called a wake? Like the, I don't want to say the after party, but you know where you eat like the little sandwiches and stuff like that. Right. Right. Kind of detox a bit. That's a wake, right? I think so. Cause I, I, I don't know. Okay. Cause I mean, if it's, cause uh, in general uh, social terms, it'd be the reception, but I, I, I don't know if, it, it, reception, I think, is more celebratory. So I don't know if we yeah. would necessarily associate with a, with a funeral. We could both be wrong, but we're gonna we're gonna call that the wake. Okay, the wake, right? And so the um, the boys like uh, like I think they're onto something with this veil of shadows thing, and they are. So they seek out uh, Pedo Clark, who's at the <laughs> and and he that's where the whole flea and the acrobat title comes from. Is he basically explains sort of time travel and parallel dimensions and how if because we in this metaphor we're acrobats and we can only go one way so we have to bust through this gate somehow and he does this great visual and he draws on a plate and he stabs the plate and stuff and so the kids know now that if they want to find will they have to find this gate and and that that's huge because it's like now we're starting to know what the upside down is as the characters know. Mm-hmm. And and this is why this is one of my favorite episodes. Cause I, in, 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 in any story, especially in this case, you know, a sort of a, a sci-fi horror story. Uh, I always love the point in the story where, where you get, where you get an explanation, but, but I mean, but it's, it, it's, 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 it's in, in this case, it's done really well. It's it's done very nice and organically within within the the, the pacing of, of the story and the series itself. But it's also a, a nice break where both the boys get an explanation, but then also we as the audience, we get this very nice explanation for what exactly we've been experiencing 
for the previous four episodes, and and the, and and I and it's it's I, I like that it has uh, a nice fun sort of you know, uh, science, scientific logic to it, and, and the analogy because that because you know because I'm terrible with science anyway, so so it's as if they knew that like you know somebody like me would be in the audience, and this flea and the acrobat analogy uh, would be absolutely perfect to help me kind of understand what was what was going on as a as a very brief aside and I won't get too deep into it um I recently saw the uh the the overwhelmingly huge hit it uh, I don't know if you've seen it oh yet. I have not and it was actually filmed uh in the town uh close to next over from mine oh that's cool like that's like, like cool. with the house we never went to the set or anything but it, it was a big draw for the um the people who lived in that area and uh and I think that you're um because Finn Wolfhard is one of the kids right absolutely and oh he's so good he's so good and um I don't know if it was intentional or not but it, especially as as far as his character in Stranger Things goes uh, he totally plays against type okay like he is he's hilarious and filthy like you would think that he was like a male Liz Hersey oh that's cute it's... I feel like a male Liz Hersey is just someone who would get arrested <laughs> <laughs> like he probably will one day. And the great thing about it is it's like uh he's he's hilarious and filthy, but it doesn't feel like they're forcing him to do something that doesn't come natural to him. Like he's really good at it and it's hilarious. Okay, I, I I'm I'm on the fence if I want to see it because I do not like going to see horror movies in theaters because I have big bombastic reactions that I don't like other people to see. <laughs> So, so one of the one of the things that I think is kind of coming out of it in terms of uh, like it's a it's a horror movie for sure, but um, I get scared really easily, and uh, it, it didn't scare yeah. me at all. And even Chanel gets Chanel is a she gets like you know borderline panic attack scary when she watches horror movies, and this movie didn't. She was surprised that it didn't. It didn't really scare her. Okay. And so, uh, and so I've, I've talked to a few people that have kind of been like, yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that scary. And and it it was, um, it's, you know, it's fun. It's cute. I, I, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I imagine you would enjoy it. Sounds like a delightful romp. (laughs) It kind of was. And so my, my, my main, my main hangup about it, which, which was, I was actually reminded of during the, the flea and the acrobat is, uh, and again, I like, I won't go into any great detail, because uh, I, I don't want to step on any potential spoilers. I mean, this might be a spoiler in itself, but I don't think it really is. So, so you've got you've got the evil clown Pennywise and in, in it, and so so you know you know when you buy your ticket to the movie, like you know that he's kind of sort of uh, he's the rock star of the movie. So so you look forward to seeing him and you anticipate seeing him, and uh, and by the time the movie's over, you you know you get plenty. They give you your money's worth. So all that is. That's well and good, but uh, in terms of you know his appearances in the movie, his interaction with the kids, you know the 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 terror that he brought upon this town. By the time the movie was over, I had there for for there, there was no logic as as to how it worked. I was like, where's okay. where's he coming from? How does he? What does he have a weakness? Is he a poltergeist? Is he physical? How, why why does he why 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 did he turn up here when I didn't when I assumed that the rules were he could only turn up here, and so and, and you know why why is this thing happening and why is why 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 didn't he kill 
that kid. He was right in front of him. There was nothing. St- and there was like all these sort of, and I kept thinking like, well, it, but before the movie's over, they'll give me something. There'll be some kind of explanation that's going to help contextualize uh, the rules in which this boogeyman exists. And when it was over, there were none. And I was just, I was left with the feeling that the, I, I feel like the director possibly didn't give a shit. He was just like thinking about all these cool visual things he could do, but he, but he didn't give much thought to the storytelling logic as to, as to, how and why Pennywise existed. And so, so for me, that was, that was brought into great focus during the flea and the acrobat where we do get a lot of, you know, for the first four episodes, you know, we get a lot of, uh, uh, we get a lot of not just visually interesting, but just, just a lot of weird, creepy, strange moments and stranger things where it's all very unsettling. But then you get to the flea and the acrobat and then in that very nice scene with Pete O'Clark, we also start to get a, a, a logical, a logical explanation of like, oh shit, okay, yeah, that helps. Now, now we've got some, we've got some, some sort of context, some, some logical, contextual idea as to why these things are happening. And so, um, and 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 so, so that'll be my 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 only real digression in, into into it, if only to to sort of <laughs> juxtapose um, again, just how brilliant stranger things is indeed and uh i'm just going to kind of go off on what i want to talk about now as please much do. as i enjoyed your it thing uh, please don't think i don't i didn't <laughs> i mean you haven't um, seen it so there's not much else you can say yeah but i mean I, I do want to see it at some point and i was my little take on it was that i was very tempted to read the book and i saw it at a bookstore and i picked it up thinking it was going to be like 200 pages and i almost <laughs> dropped it because it was like a fucking brick it's a workout it was like, 5,000 pages. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I understand that this movie, it's kind of the first part of it, I believe. Yes. Isn't yeah. yeah. So, I mean, thank God. But like, I was like, holy shit. I'm not, I can't. No. <laughs> I have no time. I have no time. Like, I, my book club, I'm in a book club, is on Tuesday. And I'm like on page 60 of a 400-page book. So that's like my weekend right there. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So... Uh, Pete O'Clark and, um, and his whole, like, he's the science teacher, AV guy that the students like. Um, we also see, um, like the people working, like the people listening in at Hawkins, they heard, uh, the boys trying to contact Will with Eleven, uh, through that, um, Keith Ledger thing, um, <laughs> at the school. And then they wound up frying it. So they had, uh, the principal of the school has a, a tech guy come to look at it and we find out this tech guy is from hawkins so we learn in that little scene we learn hawkins especially between that and the microphone at hopper's place they are integrating themselves and controlling this sleepy little town in more ways than we had realized before Mm -hmm. which makes them all the more menacing but my favorite part of the entire episode is when um they're kind of looking at this fried heath ledger and the principal's (laughs) like yeah I don't know why, but this stuff is real popular with the less athletic type. <laughs> that cracks me up. It has nothing to do with the episode, but just that. And that's such an 80s thing. It's like the normal people who like sports and, and being manly. And then there's those less athletic types. Not 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 even really popular with uh, science, science-y kids. No, they're less athletic <laughs> types. Yeah, like in the, in the 80s. 
yeah. kids were defined as athletic or not athletic. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I found that quite funny. So I just wanted to you, be like, Pete O'Clark, this is what I want to talk about. Boom. <laughs> That's how I don't, I don't segue in case, in case any listeners thought I did. I don't. <laughs> which, which is just fine. Which in, in fact, frankly, we, you know, we, we sort of need those, uh, those non sequiturs to help move us through the episode. Cause otherwise we'll, we'll get lost on a million different tangents if, if we're yeah. not careful. Frankly, this has been a, a, a surprisingly well-disciplined episode so far. So we'll see, we'll see how long we can keep this up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where do you want to go next with Stranger Things? So we can There's ta- a few places we could go. So but you- I, I, I figure we could just uh, briefly talk about uh, the, the, the scene with, uh, with Lonnie and Joyce, uh, I think it's, I think it's following the funeral. We, we kinda... Is this where she finds the, the, um, the flyer for the lawyer? Yes. Okay. And, uh, I have thoughts. And, and so, so, okay. In fact, I'll, I'll let you get into your thoughts. Cause I don't, I don't have a lot of thoughts except that, um, it, it's, uh, it, the, the, the scene sort of establishes Lonnie is having these ulterior motives that, you know, that don't really have anything to do with the, you know, with the, with the love and, and, and mourning of his, uh, of his, of his, of his, of his dead kid. Um, and it also will sort of, um, for the most part, will, will give the, the character a reason to, to exit the series as he won't really be all that necessary moving right. forward. But, but what are some of your thoughts? Well, okay. So, I mean, at the beginning of the episode, when he's kind of comforting Joyce, he had given her a blanket and they were, having a couple drinks together and he was kind of, he's basically there to like clean up the mess more or less. Right. Like he, like Joyce is not capable of like, he, they need a funeral point person and he steps in to serve that. And I'm not giving him too much credit because like Joyce said, you weren't there. He's not there for a lot, but he, he does for whatever his motives are, he does do it kind of at his best at tidying things up. And he, like and there's more references uh, to um, the mental history of Joyce's family, which makes him think mm-hmm. like kind of buy into the whole she she's kind of cracked theory, and and we see him being kind of a douche to Jonathan, um, because now Jonathan, after speaking with Nancy and seeing the picture, he realizes that Joyce is onto something. But Lonnie's like, shut it down. This is the last thing she needs. Whatever. So, I mean, Lonnie's a bit of a, a dick. Like, everyone knows that. I don't think that him wanting to get money out of this is that callous and awful a thing as it's portrayed. Or, like, I get I get Joyce's freaking out about it. I get it. And maybe some people are like, well, how can you move on so quickly and trying to make a buck off your son's death? These people are not rich. Mm-hmm. It like if they can, if some good can come out of it, what whether it's sending Jonathan to college, even if Lonnie doesn't know what college he wants to go to, um, I don't. So I don't think that that's that bad. And also, he didn't bring this up to Joyce at all. She was going through his things and found it. So he never once said anything about it. And of course, like he was still going to go to the fucking funeral. It's not like if this <laughs> never existed. He would have just skipped. I think so. I don't think that I'm not a Lonnie fan, so don't freak out at me, world. But I don't think that this whole 
seeking restitution is that awful. Maybe it would be more tactful to do it after some time has passed, but I don't think it's that bad. And that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I don't think you're crazy. I, I, I sort of had a similar thought. I mean, like when like when you watch the scene, I, I think because Joyce is is so angry and she is so passionate about it, uh, at least for me, you know, I couldn't help but side with her a little bit because I was like, well, she she's really angry. I feel like she she must be right. She must be justified with this anger. But objectively speaking, you're totally right. You know, like your your kid was uh was almost definitely as far as they know your your kid was definitely killed because there was some negligence with this you know with the with the security the of quarry the quarry or so something. yeah so so you know why 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 not get some sort of get some sort of you know financial restitution which you know you can use for for your family and the so so you can send Jonathan to to NYU and may, you know maybe Lonnie didn't know he wanted to go to NYU but as you said you know i mean He's at the very least the thought that he knows his kid wants to go to college, so why not? You know, have a few bucks for it. So, so I, so I don't, I don't think your take is is all is 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 crazy or or off base at all. And and it wasn't the immediate next scene, but it was it was it was like it was like the next day. I I really enjoyed this scene where you know Joyce is on the couch. It's the next morning. There's a banging on the door. And she thinks it's Lonnie coming back, and so she's kind of screaming at him to leave. And so she finally gets up and opens the door, and we see Chief Hopper standing there with the with a handwritten note saying, "Don't say anything." That was so good. Oh God damn it! I loved it, and so and Joyce and I love Joyce's Joyce's uh, immediate uh, obedience to it. Like, oh shit! All right, you show up with a yeah. sign that says "Don't talk." I won't talk. And so then, you know, then he comes in and then he sees, <laughs> he's thinking we got to check the lights to see if there's a mic. And then, of course, he sees a million Christmas lights <laughs> hanging in her <laughs> house. And he's like, oh, God damn. And I'm, so, go ahead. Sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. They didn't find anything, right? No, no, no. They didn't find that anything. That seems to me very odd that that place wouldn't be bugged. But, I mean, maybe it's, like, Joyce as, like, they have tabs on everyone, so they know that Joyce isn't believing it. But they also know she's coming across as really cracked. Like, mm-hmm. she's not, she's playing with lights, whereas Hopper's breaking into the lab. So maybe yeah. it's that she's not as much of a threat. I don't know. But it's, I feel like that, that's not as, like, I feel like they, like, uh, dot their I's and cross their T's a little bit more and bug Joyce as well. Yeah, and, and Hopper, he even, he even uh, acknowledges it. Like, once once he's you know, sits on the couch and he sort of, he's done as much of an exhaustive search as he can, he even acknowledges, you know, I could be wrong, but I think you're yeah. good. Yeah, and uh, but but the but the great part, uh, the, the the great sort of uh, validation, is when when he looks at Joyce, and he says, "You were right. I, I saw the body last night. It was not Will's body. You were right all along." And so finally, mm-hmm. this poor woman who everyone thinks she's crazy, she even herself acknowledges, "I might be crazy." Finally, she gets this this wonderful, almost almost heroic moment where she gets to be told everyone else is the crazy one. You're the only one who's not fucking crazy. Yeah. That must've been a huge relief and you can see it all over her face. Mm-hmm. And just that, the fact that, you know, that means that without a doubt, her son he might not be safe, but he's still alive. 
And I think going back to the whole Lonnie thing about her exploding at Lonnie, but it's not just that he's being callous and a deadbeat. It's also, this is another like almost literal nail in the coffin of acknowledging mm -hmm. that Will is dead. If we're seeking restitution for his death when he's not. Yeah. So I do get her freak out, but just let Lonnie get the money. They could, I mean, look at her, <laughs> look at her fucking house, right? Like how, like she hasn't been to work at her shitty pharmacy job in like a week at least. And she's like borrowing money to put up Christmas lights. She has a hole like the size of like a <laughs> ax wound literally in her, her trailer. Like let Lottie pay for that. Sorry. It's just, yeah, like I'm, I'm an adult. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking about the fiscal responsibilities of this care of these characters. And I would also love to see just, just a little bit of that, a, a little of that money, uh, given to Hopper so he can help fix up his trailer because I am not over that yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, that, I, I have not moved on from that trauma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so so um, the, the, the boys, uh, the boys in 11, of course, you know, of course they play a big part in the episode, but the, the most, the, 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 the biggest part of the episode as far as the boys go <clears throat> and 11, and by the way, this is not important, but um, I think it every time I hear it, so I feel like I should say it out loud at least once. I don't like when they call eleven L. You do? oh, I really do. And it's not. Listen, it doesn't ruin the show for me. Uh, and it's and it doesn't. It's not. It's not exactly grating on my ears. But um, I don't know. I like. I feel like eleven and in in and of itself is is kind of a nickname. Technically, we don't know her name, so it's become her name. But uh, but I don't know like like L I like eleven better I'm not a big fan of of, of L uh, but but by the same token I think uh, I think uh, Mike is he's about the only one that calls her that which in that sense I can accept it because you know he's 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 got more affection for her, so it's almost like his 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 cute little pet name so in, in that sense I guess I get it. It's not exactly a hot take. I just I would just assume that nobody called her L because Eleven is such a cool name. Yeah, but the thing is, it's also associated with the clinicalness and the like. Her being forced to be like this slave lab rat, and like she doesn't even get a real person's name. She just gets a number. So I think if I were her, and there's this boy who's taking me in, and he's not just calling me Eleven, which is the only name she knows, but L, like that means she's not a lab rat. She's a person who gets a nickname. You know what I mean? Fine. That was, <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I say that because you made a very eloquent point that I guess I just didn't want to hear it because it made too much sense. I still don't well, like L though. Calls her, well, it's better <laughs> maybe, than weirdo. Maybe, maybe call her Alev. Okay. Or Levin. That's, that's the compromise. Call her Levin. Hey, Levin. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I don't because I mean I don't maybe uh, I, if I if I dug a little bit deeper maybe uh, maybe it's just because uh, uh, L is Spanish for the and so it's it's almost like this it's even more reductive just like hey the what's happening the. <laughs> So, uh, but, but and there's also L, like as in her, which is French. Oh, all right. So that makes it even more feminine, <laughs> and maybe that's what he's like. Mike is thinking, like her, woman, vagina. 
I'm sure he's not, but I, I would maybe maybe his other character is um alter ego, the male Liz Hersey is thinking that. <laughs> I was I was actually sort of uh going in, in that direction in my head. That's hilarious that you said that out loud. <laughs> <clears throat> so so anyway, aside from uh, what they may or may not call Eleven, um, going off of what uh, Pete O'Clark told them about, uh, <laughs> about you know, the upside down and electromagnetic fields and disturbances and whatnot, uh, Dustin figures out that all of their compasses are pointing in the wrong direction, that, that they, they're supposed to point true north. Uh, but he has this, like, like this really great sort of uh, like I, I, I like if, if this were real life, uh, I would hate this attitude on anybody where where they like, you know, they know something and you don't. So they treat you like an asshole because you don't know the thing that they know. But it's so hilarious when Dustin doesn't do it. And he was like, do you know where true north is? You <laughs> motherfucker. OK, the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. That's over fucking there, motherfucker. North is there. <laughs> the compass points that way. And again, if it was real life, I'd be like, what a little shit. But when Dustin does it, it's, oh, it's, it's so adorable. It's adorable. And later on when um, Lucas is kind of getting wise to Eleven, which we'll get into that, and he's like, I don't think we're going the right way. And then uh, Dustin's like, you really don't understand compasses. <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty hysterical. And also, I mean, we're, was having a compass like a thing? thing back then because i have to tell like i have i own a compass i could not tell you for the life of me where the fuck it is right now and so i certainly don't keep it on my person but like all these kids they just like whipped out their compasses like they were iphones and just put them on the table I, yeah, did you I, carry a compass around was that a thing you know i i i, I never owned a compass but i but i do think compasses were popular amongst the the, the less athletic kids. less athletic types <laughs> compasses on that table than there were people in the room i know there was a it's bunch like of they, they each kept spares uh, i'm also willing to think that because they also live amongst the woods that that maybe having a compass Fair was enough. you know and you know and, uh, but you're not wrong i had the same thought as like he, he was like every like well first of all he said everybody pull out your compasses now and i'm my, and i'm literally thinking like do they have to go home to go get their compasses? <laughs> but uh, but they've all got them on their person, and they have multiple compasses, as as you pointed out. Well, and... it looked like it looked like a swingers party, except instead <laughs> of keys, it was compasses. <laughs> oh god damn it! That's hilarious. That's that's completely separately. That's got That's got to be a premise for for some kind of a story, like a a compass party for for swingers, <laughs> uh, and you pick up uh you know the, the the compass to the lady you're gonna fuck that night. Um, <laughs> point point it due south, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what point I was going to make. It probably wasn't important. It's it's not nearly as good as the as the compass swingers party. Uh, and the thing, well, also with Dustin kind of being like a cocky asshole, like he's allowed to do that because he's like the most logical, level headed person ever. So it's just like, and also time's a wasting, right? Every second that they're like, how's the compass work? Mike or Will isn't being found, right? Yeah. And also, to be fair, like, I mean, with him being like, this is so obvious. I mean, I know that, like, sun rises in the east, sets in the west, blah, blah, blah. 
I don't have nearly that good a sense of direction as he as he does. Like I would have to like look. It's easy for me because like in Ontario, right, the lake is south, and I'm looking at the lake right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm able to get my sense of direction. But if I'm just in a basement in the middle of suburbia, I wouldn't be able to say that's east, that's west, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> so me neither. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't to be honest. So <clears throat> although I do, so so in Las Vegas, and I do this all the time in terms of like. Uh, figuring out where I am if if I if I'm you know all turned around is the the Las Vegas Strip runs north and west and and you can see the strip from mo- most anywhere you're driving it's 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 generally you know part of the landscape um, and so so I know that the strip itself runs north uh, north and south and at the top of the strip. There's a there's a hotel called the Stratosphere, but also part of the Stratosphere, they have like this really tall structure, um, which sort of uh, it's more. I mean, it's it's functional, but it's more it's almost more decorative than anything else. But it's the Stratosphere, and so that's for me. That's like the, the that's the top of the strip. That's the top. So that's sort of visually I know, but that's that's kind of like my true north is the Stratosphere, and so <clears throat> so if I'm driving around or if I get slightly slightly turn around i can always just kind of look towards the strip and figure out okay that's north and south so i'm right now heading east or west or or whatever but without the without the 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 las vegas strip to to orient orient me i wouldn't just be able to be in the middle of of a room or basement and point to this window or that window and tell lucas that is that is north motherfucker idiot pull out your goddamn compass and in fact, you know, I think the real subtext was he was looking at he was looking at Lucas and he was listen, man. We are not athletic. We need to know this shit. If yeah, you are, we are not a athletic, less athletic type. <laughs> if you are not athletic and you don't know how to compass works, what fucking good are you? Yeah, like let's just take you up to Hawkins and get you the lobotomy now. <laughs> like, so I, I, I think that was the real message that uh, that Dustin was sending. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, so, so now they, so now what ends up happening is that they go outside, they go on this journey to, to see where, where are these compasses ultimately pointing? Because Dustin figures out the only thing that would keep it from pointing, you know, to, to the true north would be some magnetic force that was stronger than that. And then, you know, as Pete Clark said, that's the type of force that could open an entryway into uh, another, another parallel dimension. So they're on the journey to find that. And and Eleven knows that Dustin is actually right. So what she does during the journey is she uses her you know, her her Eleven powers to to make the all of their compasses point a, a different direction. So so they're they're totally going on on a wild goose chase. And you know and we and, and along the way as an audience you know we see some blood trickling from her no, from her nose. So if we didn't already figure it out, then we know for sure. <clears throat> she's definitely up to something. And then they finally, they reach a point where uh, Dustin figures out we're, we're basically going in circles and I don't know what's going on. And then, you know, Lucas, because he's, he's, he, he's from the beginning, he's been the most cynical about 11 and, and her presence anyway. So he figures out pretty quickly. She's fucking with the compasses. She knows. She knows where Will's at. She does. She she just doesn't want us to find him. He. I mean, he comes to the wrong conclusion in terms of why she's doing it. But he yeah. figures out pretty quickly that she's 
she's the one that's behind them not finding where, where the compasses are pointing. Indeed. And he, like, I think that, like, I mean, things get pretty heated pretty quickly because although Lucas, he does not get physically violent with Eleven, he makes him, he comes across very aggressive. Like, he gets in her face, he grabs her sleeve to look at the blood, mm-hmm. and that really instills something in Mike to sort of defend defend his woman, defend his L. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and that so then they get into this physical altercation, and it's like man, like scuffling around and rolling around, and like your typical uh, pubescent boy fight, right? Like this is not like fight club at its yeah, finest right yeah i've done that but before. i mean 11 is very scared and uh, and she's worried because mike is her her connection mike is her everything um her m- and um <laughs> that's what she calls him and, Maya um, L, yeah yeah <laughs> and so um she and she just wants it to stop and she's also very scared because we the reason why she doesn't want to go is because she know like she said it's not safe it's not safe and we see the flashbacks to her in the sensory deprivation tank with the russian spy mm-hmm. and then like the sort of like i think she she gets out of there before the monster but we, you hear the monster right yeah in the flashback something yeah. like, right and so Definitely. she's terror and she doesn't want to go back there even if like even though they want to rescue will she know it's a bad place to go and that was her whole reasoning for screwing with the compasses and so she's already super scared just of this because she she's a traumatized child is what she is and now her her one uh main ally is seemingly getting pummeled and so she uses her powers to get lucas to get lucas off um and uh Not like that, right? I mean, that would be pretty cool. If she can make, she, she can make a kid piss his pants, I think she can make Lucas jizz his pants. And 100%. Then it, I mean, the, the like the element of surprise, I feel like, would have stopped everything. But <laughs> too bad I wasn't there because she had to go. And so she, but she got a little overzealous because she was very emotional. And so instead of just kind of flinging Lucas off, she like he gets thrown several yards and winds up uh, kind of hitting himself on the back of like whatever that was like a old billboard or something and he he get he he's unconscious for a few seconds like not long but en- enough that it's it's very frightening for the the other boys yeah i remember even watching it for the first time like i was i, I think i think partly because they're kids and so to see a kid knocked unconscious is is it's it's a very unsettling thing even though you know it, it it was an accident and Eleven was just trying to help, and it was probably she probably used more of her power than she intended because, as you were saying, there was a this heightened you know a, a emotion in 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 the moment. But still, I remember when he was knocked unconscious, uh, unconscious that it was it was a very sort of uh, unsettling thing, and I and, and you know before he wakes up, you know like we I don't know if he's gonna. If he's going to wake up, like, did the, did the show just get a little bit extra dark in, in this moment? Yeah, I kind of was hoping for that just a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but you've you've always you've always been on uh, from the beginning. You've you've been a, a loyalist to the uh, anti Lucas movement, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so so that that would have gone along with the you know with that particular movement. But you know, but but he does wake up and he's he's 
you know, for good reason, he's upset and he kind of shoves everybody off and walks off. And and uh, Dustin, the voice of reason, is like, just let him go. <laughs> I like, know, Dustin is like a 45-year-old dad, pretty much. That I, I was thinking the same thing because like because I'm thinking like if, if I was a kid, would I have like would I have the presence to know that the right thing to do is to let him go and, and just kind of he 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 doesn't want us right now. He can't hear us right now. You know, yeah. it's better. It's just, just let him go. Let him go. We'll, we'll find him later. We'll just let him go. And I was like, fuck that kid. I mean, between, between uh, giving science lessons and passioned science lessons about compasses in the basement <laughs> and telling Mike to let him go, Dustin is proving himself to be uh, kind of the most mature kid in the group. Yeah, for sure. And uh, as we sort of work our way towards the end, there's there's really only one final yeah. significant sequence. Oh, uh, also, uh, I should mention just to end off this whole uh, the kids thing. Eleven runs away too. Oh shit! I god damn it! I actually forgot that part. But yeah. yeah. So I and I think it's like because as much as she has the safety and security of of Mike and and his home and and her feelings towards him. She know he is very like she she is disrupting these Mike's world by being there. She's wrecking the friendship with Lucas, not through any in, intent, but uh, she is. And also, Mike is hell bent on finding Will, and he is going towards this scary place. So I think she got very scared, and mm-hmm. so we don't know what. At least right now, we don't know where she's going, what her plan is. She probably doesn't know that. But she she just dipped is what she did, and there was a there was <laughs> there was just a, a brief couple of moments where you know we the 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 camera is like this sort of kind of wide overhead shot and you see uh, Dustin and Mike sort of uh, scattering a little bit and, and calling for her and Dustin's calling for Eleven and Mike is calling for L L and, and then after a couple of L's. Mike Mike calls for eleven, and I feel like that was that was a that was a subtle callback to Will Byers. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, L L. Okay, just so there's no confusion. Eleven. Eleven. <laughs> um, and so so yeah. So then we get into the, the last sort of final, but but still very significant uh, scene in in this particular episode. Which goes back to to Jonathan and Nancy, who they're out in the woods together. And... Can we go a little bit before that? Please do go for it. Uh, well, because so they they like we mentioned a while back uh, met up at the funeral and they kind of just they're they're going hunting for this thing because they they're the only ones who really know about the monster aspect. Yeah. Like they don't know about the upside down or anything, but they know there's this weird monster that was hanging around when Barb went missing, and um, and so like after the funeral, like um. Uh, Jonathan steals. Is it his dad's gun, Lonnie's gun? Yeah. He steals a, Lonnie's gun out of the um, the glove box, and um, and so and and Nancy's a little uncomfortable with that, but she wants to find her friend, and so but there's a scene where she, she needs to find a weapon too, so she rummages through the garage at her place and, and finds a baseball bat, and who should wander up but Steve fucking Harrington? Harrington. Uh, and whatever. Steve Let's definitely go. Steve Harrington sounds right. Steve Harrington, yeah. And um and it I thought it was a great scene between them because like Steve like Steve's a very very interesting character for me. And the past couple episodes we saw his real douchey side about 
caring more about getting in trouble with his parents and about Barb. And he kind of goes back to Nancy and extends his version of the, of an olive branch to her and, and kind of recognizes that he might've been, was a dick, but he, he apologizes in such a douchey way. I don't think anyone has like, I don't think you can get a douchier apology than in this whole kind of tirade of an olive branch say that this other girl thinks I look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and, like, and, and then to start singing that stupid song from Risky Business and all that. Like, that, so that I found was just perfect because I don't think Steve is someone who's ever really had to apologize to someone before. I think he's always kind of had a pretty easy life and, and coasts on his looks and his parents' money. And so this is odd for him. But so he doesn't just straight up, say, like he does say that he was a dick, but he's not like, and that's it, and I'm sorry, and I hope that, you know, Barb is found, and let me know what I can do. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry about Barbara, but I look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and so I, re- I, re- I really enjoyed that scene, and that scene is one of the ones that doesn't have a lot of importance to this whole episode, but I really, like, and it reminds us that thing, and also, Nancy, for her part, she was all about Steve the first couple episodes. She was really um, enamored with him. And now it's like, okay, that's great, but I've got better things to do. And uh, the, the the point you make about Steve, too, about how he's never, uh, probably never really had to apologize for anything. He's never really, truly had to take accountability for any shitty, th- any shitty things that he might have said or done. Uh, that actually, I think that actually that, that that plays out later in the series, and we'll we'll get there when we get there. But there does come a point where, where you actually you see Steve, uh, trying to make genuine amends with with the with the community for for shit that if he didn't outright do it, he was uh at the very least party to it, and and he and and for whatever reason, and we'll get there when we get there. He he decides that maybe he needs to be less of a dick. So, so yeah. I, I think that's actually... Oh, uh, I have tons of thoughts on, on the uh, character arc of Steve Harrington. <laughs> so we'll so, get into that. So we'll definitely get there uh, Get there when we get there. So, uh, and, and you know what's funny? is Because you, you're not wrong. And yet, before before you really dove into it, I never thought much about the, the depth of Steve. But you're, but you're not wrong. There, <laughs> there actually is a, a pretty genuine uh, character arc with that guy. Yeah, like, you can tell he's not going to apologize just so he can try and get some sex from Nancy again. Like, I got the sense he really did care to say what he said to her and get back in her good graces. But it was just so fucking douchey. (laughs) Uh, And it also helps, of course, uh, again, when we we get to that that final sequence with uh, Nancy and Jonathan, that, you know, it it, it helps to, to give, you know, context to... I mean, I mean, certainly she wants to find Barb, and certainly she knows that she and Jonathan, as you said, are the only ones that that uh, that, that essentially have access to this information. That they don't know what the monster is or quite what they're looking for, but they do know that there was something fishy about Barb's disappearance, and uh, and that they're both they're both invested in and in figuring it out and, and looking for. So you know, so so they go out and they're they're out in the woods and they're and they're looking around. But and, they they practice with the gun first. Oh my god, I, I'm fucking forgetting everything. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because I just saw it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Okay. But so they go into practice because 
like they're like Jonathan is bringing this gun and so he goes out to practice shooting at cans and he's a pretty awful shot and then of course this I did find this a little cheesy which I do in movies when it's like the guy's really shitty at something manly and then the girl shows up and just does it right away like I'm not saying that couldn't happen but it's it was a little cliched for me but I'm I forgive it because of um because of the conversations that they had and that we kind of it was a great moment to sort of learn about their backstories and that's when we do hear about Nancy's family situation how uh Karen Wheeler married the older guy with the nice job who she had no feelings for and I mean that's just just another buffoon Mr. Wheeler moment he's not even there <laughs> I appreciate it and of course um Jonathan the terrible shot talks about how you know the last time he fired a gun was when his dad took him hunting and made him kill a rabbit. And I really did enjoy the line. I like thump. I'm a fan of Thumper. I thought that was really <laughs> cute. That was actually the most, like Jonathan, I do find Jonathan. I, I don't know. I, I have no problems with Jonathan and I feel sympathy for him a lot, but I don't, for whatever reason, I don't connect with him as much as some of the other characters. And uh, because uh, I do find him a little pretentious, not, n- not, and I don't dislike him, but there's something about him. That's just like, I'm a loner because everyone else sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. But so to hear him say, I'm a fan of Thumper, I found to be very endearing because I'm also a fan of Thumper. And um, since I was a kid, I'm not an animal lover at all, but I've always loved bunnies. And so just hearing that story for like, it resonated with me and made Jonathan a little more human to me. Uh, funny story also, along with the secretary, I've never seen Bambi. It's don't skip it. <laughs> okay, that that that, yeah. that was that was easy. I mean, Thumper's great, but like you can just like look up like YouTube Thumper's best moments, and then he's the only good part of that movie. <laughs> I also, whenever I think about it, I realize I've not seen a lot of Disney movies, and, I, and I, I've come to the conclusion that Disney is so ubiquitous in in, in popular culture that. I, I just I, I know all the movies. I know all the characters. I, I know all the stories. So then I, I, I'm then left with the feeling that I've seen all the movies. But then I realize I've really seen almost none of these movies. I just I just assume that I have. Well, I think that it's, it's also probably a generation thing, too, because when I was very small, that was when they were redoing a, a, or like starting up again their fairy tales. They did Little Mermaid right around the time that I was born and uh, Beauty and the Beast. And um, the first movie I ever saw in theaters was actually Aladdin that had just come out. So they were doing all these movies in the late 80s, early 90s. So you might have been a little bit old for those. Whereas if it was perfect for my age group and of course with Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin came a push for people to want to watch the classics like Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Yeah, you know that actually that, that makes a lot of sense actually. And too, when I was, uh, I mean, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, you know, VHS was absolutely a thing. Um, but Disney, I, I didn't know it as a kid, but you know, as, as, a, as I got a little bit older, would learn that that Disney has always been relatively particular about uh, when they when they release their their movies and that they'll they'll put them in the vault for. For years yeah, the years. Disney vault. I remember that. And uh, so, get this trophy before it gets locked in the Disney vault. <laughs> I feel like if there's one place in the world that Pete O'Clark wants to live, it's in the Disney vault. 
<laughs> he would love it there. He would love it there. He's probably got a compass right now to take him to the Disney vault. And they could have the compass swingers party in there. <laughs> I, I think we we are we we're, we're we're on accident. We're writing a whole other wonderful episode of Stranger Things. Um, more, <laughs> the pervert Canadian and the compass swingers. <laughs> <laughs> this is more. I think on the last episode we talked about uh, uh, some Stranger Things fan fiction. So I think I think I think we at this point. We've actually got something going that we should really just actually start start doing it, or at the very least, just put it out in the universe and hope uh, hope there's some other Stranger Things geeks who decide to, to write up this Stranger Things fan fiction. And I'll read, especially, I mean, if it involves you know Compass Swinger Clubs and the Disney Vault, I'm all in. I'll read that shit. <laughs> all uh, right. Let's- Let's bring this home with uh, Nancy and Jonathan in the woods. So Nancy and Jonathan in the woods, they, they come upon uh, uh, an injured deer, which is all, you know, it, it's, it's going to die one way or the other. So, but yeah. so, so they, they decide we've got a gun, I guess we'll let's kill it. Let's put it out of its misery. But before they do that, they have a little bit of a tiff in the woods. Uh, they get into a bit of a fight and it's uh, the fight uh, starts about Steve, interestingly enough. Oh yeah, Do you yeah. That? Uh, only because, a little bit, but remind me. Yeah, well, basically, somehow they're they're talking about um, whatever. Like they're just having conversation, and so like uh, Steve comes up, and um, and Jonathan kind of mentions that he's a, a dick, and uh, Nancy, even though she she agrees that he's done some dickish things, like this guy, he's still technically her boyfriend, I think. And so she she does feel the need to defend him a little bit, and she so she's defending this guy to the person whose camera he deliberately smashed, and so then they kind of start picking at each other, Nancy and uh, Jonathan, and she said, "Well, you're like this pretentious creep who thinks he's better than everyone else, and you shouldn't have been taking pictures of it." Oh no, no! What starts the fight is that he says that when like um she was asking him about uh that she spoke to him when he took the picture and that's why he took the picture. It's like, what did you mean? And he said, it's because for that moment you were being yourself. You weren't trying to be anyone else. And she got offended by that. And so then they started fighting about Steve and then they started, you know, saying the sort of negative, uh, the negativity about each other, which she says he's this pretentious creep. And he says that she's this classic suburban girl who thinks that, running around and fucking a jock behind her parents' back is this original thing. And then, lo and behold, she's going to get married to some jock and live like her parents. Mm. And then I think the fight kind of stops when they stumble upon this deer. I believe that's how it went. No, that sounds right. And, like, I, 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 I it's, it's, fuck, I, like, I remember that. But it's funny that the things about uh, this episode in particular, that the, the things that that stick with us, because everything you said is so important, and yet... It didn't leave an impression on me, but like I'm listening to you describe, it's like wow, I just yeah. watched it. So, <laughs> but still, I'm like, that's like fucking important. Why wouldn't that stick with me? It's not in the uh, the wiki because I always have the um, the wiki up about the description, and uh-huh. um, yeah, they're not talking about the fight or anything. I don't think. Well, I'm well, I'm glad because I mean I watched it last night, so it it should be fresh. But either way, either way, I'm glad that uh, that that you made a point of bringing that up because that is. 
super duper relevant uh, up until they they find the deer. Maybe it's because, I don't know. Maybe it's because the deer was like dead and almost dead and bled and bloody. That that's exactly where my where my brain sort of uh, like that's that's the impression. That well, it's more left. of a visual than them just fighting about high yeah. school personas. Uh, one thing that I do remember, as far as like the deer goes, both both rewatching it last night, but also just the first time I watched it, I remembered how I, rem- I remembered like the the how, how tense it was, like when when you know they, they you see the deer and they pull the gun out and Jonathan is aiming and and even though it sort of is a it it, it feels like the the humane thing to do. But it's still like this very, very tense moment, and I'm almost like only half looking at it. And so rewatching yeah. it last night, I know what's going to happen, but I, I'm still I still feel like that tension all over again, as if, as if he's as if he's going to kill the deer, um, and and then and right before he kills the deer, the deer gets sucked away into the shadows, and we don't see what does it, but we know. We know we know it's the monster, even though we don't know exactly what the monster is. We know yeah. that that's what happened, <clears throat> and uh, and 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 at that point, uh, because you, because it's more fresh in your mind than my mind by by uh, a few hours. Uh, aside from being startled, was was their reaction to immediately start looking around, or or, or kind of what? Yeah, happened? and this was kind of like I mean and. I just saw it, but I forget the details. They kind of split up, which I feel is kind of stupid when something just sucked a deer away. But Nancy follows the the blood trail left by the deer, and she comes to this hollowed out tree. And she, like, there's weird shit inside it, and it looks very much like the the upside down of Hawkins Lab with the mm-hmm. stuff floating everywhere, or whatever. And so she decides to leave her backpack and her weapon, which was a little odd. Yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, it, it, I get that it was. You know, hard, but if, if she can squeeze through that thing, a baseball bat can truly make it through. So I don't know what the fuck she was thinking. <laughs> but uh, but so she goes into this tree and it's this whole other like it's not a tree anymore where she is. And so it, we know she's in the upside down. And so she's kind of looking around at this kind of like hell hole looking. It looks kind of like in commercials for uh, gums for gum to like cure your bad breath it looks kind of like <laughs> the mouth image before you get the gum like it, it just looks like a gross mouth of bad breath um and so she's kind of looking around and she sees this monster this like flower-headed thing feasting on this dead deer and so she's just like i should probably leave and of course she makes a noise and then the thing hears her and goes after her and she runs and Jonathan's in the woods and hears her screaming around this tree, but can't for the life of him find where she is. And that's how the episode ends. And I also remember Nancy in peril. Yeah. And uh, especially I remember the first time I saw that, uh, that the, the ending of this particular episode, um, just the, 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 the terrifying feeling. And, and I mean, it's a cliffhanger, but not really because all the episodes are available, but just that feeling of like, you know she's in there she's the 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 monster is absolutely aware of her and this tree is closing like all of that was just so suffocating and 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 terrifying and and of course you know having finished the series i know it's going to happen but i very vividly remember the 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 terror that that i was feeling at the end of the episode both the first time and and then the second time it's not the same because i mean i know ultimately how things resolve but right. it was very, very well done. Indeed. 
so I, I guess we can sort of officially wrap up unless you have any uh, any final thoughts about the episode. I think that about does it for me, I have to say. I, I think we did a, a fucking dandy job. I, <laughs> fucking dandy indeed. And again, as far as, you know, the, the second half of the season goes, and this is sort of the beginning of, 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 of the final the final arc uh, of, of, of the uh, of, of the series, this very, very, very efficiently uh, sets up, you know, the, the, the beginning of that arc. So um, kudos to to the Duffer Brothers. And uh, as we wrap up, uh, just very, very quickly, I'll keep it super brief. If you're not subscribed to the show, uh, please subscribe on iTunes. It's easy. It's convenient. Uh, you don't have to, you know, if you're subscribed, you don't have to look for new episodes. They just pop up magically, uh, in your iTunes list. If you're not an iTunes listener, you can also listen on Stitcher radio. Those are kind of the two main options. Uh, if neither of those does it for you, you can also go to the official website, martinlestrapsshow.com, where all 173 episodes are available Unless you're listening to this uh, somewhere way deep in the future, then, of course, those episodes are also available. But as of this moment, all 173 episodes are available on the official website, martinlestrapsshow.com. Uh, also, while you're on the website, uh, go to the shop page. Uh, when you get there, you see an Amazon banner at the top. Click that banner and go to Amazon. Do some shopping. You know, buy whatever you Buy whatever you need that particular day. Your compasses for the swingers party. <laughs> you rag- Apparently you need more than one. You really do need a compass for the swingers party. Uh, not, not, not just to find the party and not just to, to, to swap. So you know who you're going to fuck that night. But you know, as, as Liz pointed out, it's going to help you find uh due South. So, <laughs> so compasses serve many purposes at the, at the compass swinger party. Uh, and because you bought your compass on Amazon through the official website, Amazon in turn kicks back a, fin- a few pennies our way. We get to take those pennies, reinvest them into the show. It allows us to make the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour as good as we could possibly make it for you, which we strive to do week after week after week. And that's going to officially do it. So let me let me thank my uh, my my regular contributor and. Um, very soon to be, uh, occasional co-host Liz Hersey. Thank you so much, Liz, because you, your, your insights are, are not only brilliant as usual, you're not only uh, entertaining as usual, but the fact that you're reliably so, I, I never stop appreciating. Oh, well, it, it's been your pleasure. <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> has been my pleasure. Um, and real quick, if you want to tweet me and let me know what, technical or creative emmys um stranger things one or or weigh in on uh my hot takes about disney vault swingers parties you can find <laughs> me on instagram or twitter at liz ann hersey absolutely and uh I, I i i always forget to do it but so long as we're talking about it you can find me on twitter at martin lestraps and that's exactly where you can find me on instagram is at martin lestraps and uh, that, that'll do it for episode number 173. I want to thank all of you for joining us on, uh, on episode 5 of our Stranger Earth Things miniseries. And until next time, I will see you on the other side. Later, cunts. Later, cunts.